You're listening to the North Parkway Podcast, weekly talks designed to help you take the next step in your spiritual journey. You can learn more about our church at northparkway.org. And if these talks are helpful to you, consider using the link in the description to give. Your financial support helps us continue to make great content. All right, well, that's enough intro. Let's get to today's talk. Previously on Science and Faith. Always be ready to give a logical, reasoning-based defense of your faith, citing evidence. We need evidence and experience. We need science and faith informing our worldview because I believe that the same God who wrote the Bible also wrote all of the laws of nature. When you say theology trumps science, what you're actually saying is my theology trumps science. What if your interpretation of that passage was wrong? If you want to know God, you need to study both his books, his word and his world. You have to get out of your mind that, that the Bible is a sacred source of truth and science is a secular source of truth. God wrote both of them. If he designed nature and he said, I've given this to humanity so that they can understand who I am, the sum total of all of God's revealed truth can only be seen if I look at all of this. Science and faith are companions. When you look at both with a worldview that says, I'm looking for God here and I'm looking for God here. When you look for truth, you find So if you've got fill-in-the-blank notes, you want to write that down, let's put that up on the screens. Science explains how, but it's not really equipped to explain who or why. I I love this quote, we'll leave that up on the screens for a minute, but as I've been studying this, I've seen a lot of quotes from famous scientists. I love this one from Sir Isaac Newton. Here's a guy who had one foot firmly planted in each world, great scientist, great man of faith, he said this, science, uh, do we have that picture? Can we put that up? Maybe. There we go. He says, gravity explains the motions of the planets, but it cannot explain who set the planets in motion. He said, this is an important piece, and as he studied both, he realized something that I want to talk to you about and sort of emphasize today. Science here does a great job of explaining how things work. I love those little videos, those 90 seconds to understand how this piece works, how this thing works, how the, the galaxies move in a certain way, or, or how you can make a volcano. Any, anybody ever make a volcano in your house? Any, any kids over there? You mix this thing and this thing, and if you put this food coloring in, it's green. It does a great job of telling you how. The thing that it's not designed to tell you is who makes those things happen or why they happen or to go a little deeper what you should do the bible is god's way of showing us not how things happen but who makes them happen and i want to look today with you i want to look at this overlap here this in between science and faith because you've got people from outside the church and people from inside the church who would both say, these two cannot go together. They can't get along. You gotta pick one and you gotta toss the other one out. But I believe that that is wrong. I believe that that's an understandable take, but it means that you're not looking at the thing 
the best way. And so I want to show you how to do that. Now, before we dive in, let me give you a couple of things that you can write down to keep in mind as we look at this overlap. Okay? So that we understand each source. Okay? This is all God's truth. This is understanding the world that God made and God specifically gave clues to him in nature. This is God explaining uh, who he is and why we exist and why Jesus came to earth. It's, it's all God's truth. You got to understand that the Bible, write this down, the Bible is not a textbook or a history book. It's a get to know me book. Hey, the, the purpose, and I love, I love this book. I read this book every single day of my life, and I learn things from it, valuable things. But the things that I learn are not things like the atmospheric pressure being a certain amount, and here's why bubbles come, okay? I learn different kinds of truth. This is a Because Chris Wanted Tea book. Here's how the Bible explains the Bible, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. The purpose of this was not to give a scientific explanation of the origin of the world. It was not meant to be a science textbook. It was not meant to be uh, even... Even a book of rules, I, I, I like to present this as sort of an instruction manual from the designer of our species to say, if you want your life to go well, you should operate it based on how the design intended. It's like anybody, anybody ever get a brand new car? Anybody ever brand new car a few times? Did you ever crack the manual open and it says, if you want this car to last a long time, change the oil at this, set the pri tire pressure to this? That's what this is. It's a get-to-know-me book. Here's who I am. Here's how you can live the best way. All right? Here's something else to write down. An incomplete record doesn't mean an inaccurate record. The Bible was never intended to answer every question about everything in the universe. It has a narrow scope that's very specific and targeted. You, you got to keep in mind, when this thing was first written down, it wasn't written in Microsoft Word and printed, right? We know that. Scrolls were very expensive and difficult to produce and very valuable. And a lot of the truth in this book was intended to be memorized. Jewish boys, back in Jesus' day, this was, this was when they went to school, they went and they studied this and they memorized it. So it was written to get the main point across quickly so that you could memorize it and you could understand what matters. Okay, 2 Peter 1.3. The Bible says that God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him. And notice it doesn't say we've received everything we know how to live a godly life by studying his world. Studying his world is great. I love science. I was not a science major, but I could have been, right? I love this stuff. But the purpose of this is not to tell me how to live a moral life. The purpose is to help me understand the world that I live in. Maybe understand myself and my own physiology and my own psychology. But it doesn't tell me what to do with that knowledge. Two more things to write down and then we'll dig into the fun stuff. Write this down. An account doesn't have to be literal to be factual. This is an important one. 
an account of something that happened, it doesn't have to be literal to be factual, to be true. Think about this, all right? How many of you guys who, uh, adults, well, even teenagers too, how many of you guys on your birthday, mom gets that dreamy look in her eyes and she tells you again the story of when you were born? Anybody have mom that did that? Anybody else? Am I the only one? I'm not the, yeah, okay, we got a couple, right? That's, that's like every year on my birthday when I'm around, mom will call me around 10 o'clock, which is about the time at night that I was born, and she said, 40 years ago on this night, I was doing this, and I was doing this, and this happened, and I drove here. I'm like, yeah, I know the story. I know the story. It's special. I understand. Um, okay, now imagine, imagine that on your birthday, imagine, Jennifer, that on your birthday, your mom had this story that she used to tell, and she would say, when you, the night you were born, it was raining cats and dogs. Okay, was it raining when you were born? Who knows? I don't know. Let's say that it was, and that was part of the story. We were swerving through traffic, and it was raining. I never thought we'd get there, okay? Imagine that mom said, when you were born, it was raining cats and dogs. Now, we know this. It, was it literally raining cats and dogs? No, okay? If you were stuck on a literal translation of what mom said, you would say, mom, is, I think she's lost it. You call your brother, I think we need to put her in a facility. She thinks that animals are falling out of the sky. She didn't mean that. She meant it was raining hard. Now, if mom had said, the night you were born, it was raining at approximately 2.54 centimeters per hour, okay, that would mean the same thing. Here's the reality. It's a lot faster to say it's raining cats and dogs. You all know what that means. And you're much more likely to remember if we put it in an in a illustration, in something that is common speech, then to remember the exact number. The Bible has a lot of truth in it, and some of it is not meant to be literal, but that doesn't mean it's any less factual. Last thing before we dive into this, write this down. If the pieces don't fit, okay, in here. If the pieces don't fit, there's probably a faulty assumption somewhere on one side or the other. Because the, the tendency is to say, if the pieces don't fit, one of them is wrong. That's what folks from outside of the Christian community tend to say. Okay, well, I'm, I'm fine with the stuff that Jesus talks about, and he wants you to like love your neighbor, that sounds good. But when the pieces don't fit, this one is wrong. Or folks in the, here that say, well, if the pieces that we observe in the universe don't seem to fit, I, I just need to chalk up that to, I just throw it out the window. But if all of this is God's truth, if these were meant by the creator to be companions and not competitors, then at times when they overlap and the pieces don't seem to fit, I'm going to work under the assumption I'm probably looking at one of the pieces sideways. It needs to rotate and then it'll fit right. Anybody who's ever done work on that car that used to be brand new and now it's not, you know that sometimes you're trying to, it doesn't fit and if you ever had legitimately the moment where you're trying to get the piece to go in and you realize, oh, I had it backwards. I didn't know the notch was bigger on this side than this side. What kind of an idiot designed it that way? Come on. Okay. So we want to look at it fair. We want to look at both of these things, both sources of truth. This is designed to explain how. This is designed to explain who. All right. So I want to look today at two of these overlaps, two of these things that are considered sort of battlegrounds between science and faith. And, and my purpose here, and I want you, to, I want you to, 
give me a chance to, to, because some of you guys are really deeply entrenched on one side of this or the other. My purpose today is not to convince you to take on a specific explanation or worldview. My purpose is to show you that there are ways that these two work in harmony. Okay, let's start with the most obvious one. It's probably the one that we hear the most. There's a lot of disagreement over the origin and the age of the earth. Because if you look at it at face value, if you look at the Bible as a literal account, like a, like a CNN is there and dialoguing what's happening, then this would say everything that we live on this earth was all created in six literal 24-hour days. And the genealogy that's recorded in the Bible, um, it, if you add that up, it seems to be somewhere around 6,000 years. And the sequence of events when things are created are literally the order that they happen, which makes for some weird scientific things, like there being light before there's a sun, or um, some of these different, okay, pieces. And so that's, if you look just at the Bible, you say, okay, well, then that's what this one says. Well, then you come over here, and scientific observation says, well, based on carbon dating and radiometric dating, the Earth seems to be much older than 6,000 years. There's stuff there that would suggest the Earth and the universe is billions of years old, that all of these creatures are billions of years old, that there are dinosaur bones that we dig up that got there somehow, and they're in this layer of rock that is such and such old, and it's also with these other things. And so there's a tendency for both of these sides to say, the other one's lying, the other one is wrong. But I want to suggest a couple of different ways that you could approach this puzzle. If you are a Christian who says, I want to understand the world as God made it, or if, if you are a person of science that says, I'm not comfortable making the bet in a one in 10 to the 164th power chance that everything that exists today came by unguided process. There must be a creator somewhere, but I don't know if I can trust this because doesn't it say that, okay, a couple of different ways you could look at it. One of those is known as the young earth, um, the young earth group, the young earth approach in theory. Okay, and that would be saying, all right, I believe that the Bible was literal in its description of the age, and, and there's a valid rebuttal that says, okay, our assumption about carbon dating and radiometric dating, there's an assumption that the rate of decay that we observe today is the same rate that it's always been. Now, there was nobody around 4.5 billion years ago to test the rate of decay of these different isotopes and, and elements in here. So we're actually not sure that that's been consistent. Maybe it was moving faster or slower in the past. We don't actually know. We have to work on some basic assumptions. So you could say, okay, and not be a knucklehead. You could say, listen, I, I believe that this is literal. I just don't believe that this is as consistent as you think it is. All right? That's, that's legitimate. But, whoops. But let me show you another way, another way that you could answer this puzzle. One of those is to say, well, maybe... Maybe the faulty assumption is assuming that this was meant to be literal and not figurative, okay? Because it's possible that the Bible was saying it was raining cats and dogs, and we're like, hey, 
he said it, I believe it, cats and dogs, they fell out of the sky. And he didn't mean cats and dogs, he means it was raining hard. Okay? I want you to just consider, is it possible? Is it possible that when the account of Genesis was written, the days were meant to be seasons or periods of time or steps in a process? It's possible. Is it possible that when the Bible is recording genealogy, is it possible that it's recording ancestors of instead of father and sons of? Well, it's possible. Did you know this? Just, again, I'm not trying to get you to, I just want to expand your horizons. Did you know that in Matthew, Matthew records the ancestry of Jesus? Okay? And Matthew intentionally leaves out several guys. He goes from, he, you know, he goes from grandfather and he skips over right to grandson. Or skips over to right to great-grandson. And it's for a purpose. It's to show that Jesus is descended from David, that he's the fulfillment of that promise to David. And he does it in a way that they're equal numbers of generations so that you can see this is all part of God's plan. It's not inaccurate. Remember, incomplete data doesn't mean inaccurate data. It's possible. I want you to consider this. The general order that science says, observational science would say, this is how we went from there is no universe until you and me today. Here's the general order. Scientists would say, you've heard of the Big Bang, right? Everybody, right? Actually, even that is kind of debated as if that's how it happened. But there was some kind of explosion of energy. Everything started going out, okay? This, all of the matter in the universe started coalescing into stars and nebula and galaxies and all this eventually that matter consolidated into planets and that planet this earth that science would say they think probably was a molten magma you know finally cooled enough to become hard and then the first the first bacterial life began to grow and then this atmosphere that was dense and thick like a permanent cloud cover began to change and you could see out into the universe and it allowed sunlight in and these things began to create more oxygen there was more oxygen in in the um, atmosphere and then science would say that life became more complex in the ocean and then eventually that life migrated onto land and then eventually that life became us light um, stars, planets, plant life, fish life, animals, then us. Okay. Do you ever consider this? Okay. Again, just think about it. Have you ever considered the order in which the Bible describes the creation of the world? The days. It says, God said there was light. And then he said he separated the waters in the heavens to make different things and then he says he created dry land and then it says that he created the first life it was not a, it was not an animal type of thing it was a plant type of thing and then sunlight and the sun and the moon and the stars appeared and then life in the oceans appeared and then life on land appeared and then at the very end of that humanity appeared is it possible is it possible that one of them is saying well, when the boiling point reaches blah, 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 the other one is saying, because Chris wanted a cup of tea. Is it? Is it possible? Now, 
There's tension in the room, and everyone's saying, Pastor, which one is right? I don't know. I don't know. And the point today is not to tell you this is what you need to believe. The point is to say, zoom out and look at these both and say there are multiple different ways where these two can work in harmony and I'm not going to just toss one out because it doesn't seem to fit right. I'm going to keep rotating the piece until I find how it fits into the machine. Let me show you one other battleground. Okay? The origin of the species. Chuck Darwin and uh, his, his nifty book. Here's another one of those. And let, let's just be honest, okay? I mean, can, I, can I get actual legitimate hand raise? Okay. As Christians, how many of you at some point in your life felt stress over the conflict between these things? Maybe when you're in school. Maybe when you're looking at stuff. Maybe when you're studying. Maybe, right? Yeah, it's stressful. How does this work? Here's another one. The Bible says that God created every species of creature and that he made them in their own kind to reproduce after their own kind, okay? Intentional design. Science says that all of the diversity that we see in the world today all branched off of one common ancestor and, and at certain points this branched off and became this thing and this branched off and became this thing. You've all seen it on the Discovery Channel with the guy with the really chills, you know, British voice. And 71 million years ago, it branched off into the this, you know. And it's very interesting, and, and um, I, I, it's always in 4K, and it looks good on my TV, right? I love that stuff. But those two seem to conflict. And let me show you a couple of things. Again, just consider, just consider, right? Everybody look at the color of your skin, right? Someplace that doesn't get a lot of sunlight, right? We're mostly, we're mostly white European folks in here, right? If you went over to Kenya today... Almost everybody there has a very different color of skin, right? But we know that this book says that everyone is descended from the same ancestors, and I believe that unequivocally. So we all realize, we can agree, that the diversity that we see in humanity is not an accident. It's God intended for there to be diversity in humanity. He built us to adapt to our environment. It's not, it doesn't say that everything came by unguided process, but it does show us that given enough time, things can change. Think about this. Has anyone ever owned a Chihuahua? Any Chihuahua owners? Yeah. They're the, I mean, I'm telling you, Chihuahuas have more backbone than the big dogs. They just don't realize they're going to get bitten in half. Okay? Mean, tough dogs, right? They don't take, they don't take stuff off of anybody. All right? Consider the Chihuahua and the Great Dane. Hey, we know we know that they both originated as the same animal. Think about this. Did the Chihuahua and the Great Dane come about by purely unguided process? How do we get different dogs today? We did it. We did it. We took something and we said, hey, what if we had a Labrador and a Poodle and we mix them together to make a Labradoodle and then we could sell them for more at the pet store? That's a great idea, okay? We did that. Rick, the, the variety of fruits on the trees in your orchard, they didn't come by unguided process. We said, what if we took these things, okay? So here's what I want to consider, okay? Is the false assumption here, is the bad assumption, is it assuming that everything had to come from scratch 
Or is it that there's a branching tree that created all of these things? Could it be that one is describing who and one is describing how? Consider this, all right? The only detailed view that we have of how God created things in Genesis, creatures. We have two, two creatures that we get any kind of detail on. Otherwise, it said, God spoke and it was. And I, just be careful to make sure you're all tracking with me. God made everything. There's nothing that came about that was an accident. There's nothing that came about that he's wringing his head and saying, no, that's not what I wanted pelicans to look like. Okay? The question is, how did he do it? Now, just for your consideration, there are two creatures that we get detail on. The first one is Adam. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that God spoke and all of these other things were created. And then the, the account zooms in on this one guy and he says, and God formed the man out of the dust. He formed a body just how he wanted it from scratch, complete. And then the Bible says he breathed the breath of life and it became a living being with a soul. Okay? That sounds an awful lot like God made that from scratch, doesn't it? Anybody else? Okay. Now, you would have people that say, well, that's a metaphor. Maybe. Maybe that part is literal. Do you know what the other creature is that we have a detailed account of how they came into being? Eve. Okay. Some of you guys who have been around a long time, uh, been around church a long time, how was Eve created? What does the Bible say? Okay. So the Bible says that God took an existing being, Adam, and he took a rib out of Adam and he used that to make Eve. And there were two humans and they said, woohoo, right? Yeah, I like this deal, okay? I want you to consider, I want you to consider that one of these God builds from scratch. The other one, what we're saying is, so God took an existing thing and took genetic material and changed it a little bit and created something new. And that's a process. Here's what I want to suggest to you. I see evidence of both processes in Scripture. Is it possible that the diversity that we see in the earth is not unguided process at all, but that it's a very guided process? Did you know, how many of you ever heard of um, the Cambrian explosion other than Trent? Anybody other than, yeah, okay. Cambrian explosion. Here's, here's an amazing thing, okay? Trent, Trent is my friend. He knows more about fossils than I will ever learn in my life. Here's what's cool from, uh, you know, did you realize in the fossil record, when, when science looks back and says, billions of years ago, this dinosaur walked the earth. Okay, did you realize that there is a, there's a moment in there where the fossil record goes from very simplistic, basic things and in a geological speaking, overnight, all of a sudden there's this explosion of new creatures, new diversity. There is no explanation for why everything went from real simple to all of a sudden now we see all of these things with spines and backbones and they have all of these different legs and they're in different regions. There's no explanation for why that happened. But it doesn't fit into the standard theory that says unguided process slowly made this happen. It's almost as if, scientifically speaking, it's almost as if there was a long time with just some basic stuff and all of a sudden, tons of diversity springs out of nowhere and we say, wow, that's amazing. Is it possible? Is it possible? 
that one is describing how and one is describing who. Well, Pastor Chris, here's the problem. I'm with the 6,000-year deal in here, so I can't accept that, okay? Let me give you another possibility. If God created the universe, that includes time, in order to create time, he has to be beyond and outside of time, okay? Is it possible that the guy who's beyond time can create things in whatever version of time he wants and it doesn't make sense to people who are living in three dimensions if he's in like 17 of them? Is it possible? Anybody ever play The Sims? The Sims fan? All right. What? The Sims, you have all of these little characters doing their little lives in your house and having these silly jobs. Ever Ever go into build mode or buy mode? Okay. What happens to the character on The Sims when you go into build mode? <laughs> right? They freeze. And you can, you can forget that you had the computer on and go to work and come back eight hours later and they're still... Okay? You do whatever you want as long as you want and then you unpause and it... Whew, right back. Okay? Do you understand that time gets a little slushy when you're dealing with a being that's far beyond time? Well, Pastor Chris, which is it? Did God create all of the current things from scratch or did he create some basic groups and then use the process that scientists look at as evolution to create diversity? Which one is right, Pastor Chris? You ready? I don't know. I don't know. Let me ask you a more important question. Do you believe that God created the things that we see in the earth? Let me ask you an even more important question. Do you believe that Jesus came to this planet to save humanity because God loved us more and he wasn't willing to throw us away? Okay? Listen, the Bible was not intended to convince you of which scientific theory is right. The Bible was meant to convince you that you are loved by God more than you understand and you need a savior to reconnect you to the Father. That's the part that matters. So don't get hung up on this so much that you say, I don't know if I can believe this stuff anymore because if you throw this out because this says I don't think it matches, then you're not listening when God is telling you who he is and what his character is. You're not listening when he says, here's how you can be saved. You're not listening when he says, here's how to treat your body so that it will be healthy. Here's how to treat your marriage so that it will last. Here's how to treat your kids so that they will grow up well. You're not listening to the important stuff you got to stay connected. Here's the most, I believe this is perhaps the most important thing that you'll write down this entire series. You can agree with someone's evidence and disagree with their conclusion. It doesn't mean that you have to refute that evidence. As Ethan comes back up and the band will follow, you, you, can, you can agree with the evidence and just draw a different Conclusion, because here's what happens, okay? Here's what happens. I'm going to take a minute, and if you're, if you're kind of, I don't know about this Christianity thing, let me talk to Christians for a moment, and I'll, I'll address everybody again in a minute, okay? Here's what happens to Christians. Christians say, I serve a God who makes tea. He wanted tea, he pressed the button, here I am, here is tea. And, and the agnostic comes and they say, well, based on my calculations, it wasn't because he wanted tea. It was because the boiling point of water is 212 degrees Fahrenheit. And they say, I've explained it. 
They say it wasn't because God wanted diversity, it was because this became this became this. It wasn't because God said planet B and there was a planet, it was because this thing cooled and this thing moved and this thing opened. And they say, ha, I've explained the magic away. You don't have to believe in that nonsense anymore. But I want you to consider, does explaining it really make it any less impressive? Take a minute, if you're here in the room, if you're watching on your phone, you're already holding it. Take a minute, pull it out. Don't turn it on, okay? Teenagers, 45-year-olds who like Candy Crush, don't turn it on, just hold it. Okay? Let me, let me demystify something for you. I'm going to strip the magic away of a cell phone call. Watch this. Say that you pick up this phone and you call your brother who lives in California. Here's what's happening when you do that. When you pick up this device, there are 19 billion transistors inside of this, calculating 17 trillion operations per second in this little thing in your hand. And when you speak into the receiver, it's translating the sound waves that are passing through your vocal cords. It's translating those to binary code, ones and zeros. And it's beaming that stream of information wirelessly to a tower nearby. And that tower receives it, and they route that information, and they relay it through hundreds and hundreds of miles of fiber optic cable to California. And in California, that information goes up to another tower, and that tower decodes the information and routes it and beams it wirelessly across all of the other devices just to your brother's phone. And on the other end, this thing gets the information, and it decodes those ones and zeros, and it sends a command to a membrane, and it vibrates a membrane up by the earpiece, and it takes those ones and zeros, and it vibrates them in a very specific pulse of air that passes through the air from your brother's phone to your brother's ear, where it vibrates his eardrum, and his eardrum takes those vibrations, sends them in an electrical signal to his brain with billions of neurons and trillion upon trillions of operations per second. And it takes all of that stuff and it takes the, the sound waves and it translates them into words and it assigns meaning to the words and it conveys what you're saying to your brother. And all of this happens in a split second and you say, are you watching the game today? You bet, man. Who do you want to win? Anybody but San Francisco, right? And that all happens back and forth. That was a spiritual moment right there, okay? Just kidding, just kidding. Okay. Listen. Are you any less impressed by this now that you know how it works? Because I'll tell you what, when I researched that, I am more impressed. Let me show you what happens. When you take the magic away, I'm, there's no less wonder. There's actually more. I, I want to end our time by sharing a testimony. I don't usually do this, but I just got to be honest with you. I, I had this whole thing planned out, and then this week, I, a long time ago, I signed up to this uh, email list that pastors just every once in a while get things about science from a Christian perspective. And I opened my email inbox 
this week, just a couple of days ago, and I saw a testimony in there that had just been published this week. And I thought, dear Lord, this is exactly what we're talking about. And so I want to share this with you. This is the testimony of a, uh, a man named Kieran. He says this, he says, several years ago in my rural backyard, I found myself crying. It was an angry cry, a grieving cry, a tired cry. Emotions that had been accumulating for over a decade suddenly poured out as I fumbled with my camera lens in the dark. It was a crisp and clear autumn night and my favorite celestial object, the Andromeda galaxy, had made the perfect target for my amateur astrophotography rig. I hastily zipped up my camera bag and fell to my knees onto a small patch of grass and I cried. I couldn't avoid it anymore. I spent years delaying the inevitable and here it was punching me directly in the face. Up until this point, he says, I, I had fought to believe that several thousand years ago God created the universe in six days and it was good. Yet here I was soaking up two and a half million year old galactic light that somehow navigated the overwhelming vastness of space just to give me a fleeting glimpse of its beauty and wonder. Was the light a lie or was it God? Every single moment I thought I had experience with God, every honest prayer that I might have ever uttered, every quiet whisper I had ever heard, and every good thing Jesus had ever given me, they all started to feel like a fading shadow as I sat alone in the grass. As the tears continued to flow, I began to audibly cry out to God. I was scared, angry, and exhausted. This tension between science and faith that I'd been ignoring inside of me since middle school finally demanded my attention, and I felt like I had to choose Jesus or science. I grew up homeschooled, he says, in a Christian family with wonderful parents. I remember deciding as an eight-year-old that I wanted to be a scientist. But the deeper I went into modern science, the more cautious and defensive I became. I eventually came to a crossroads with my faith. It was as if Jesus was poking holes in science, and science was poking holes in Jesus, and in that moment, I was angry at both of them. I subconsciously handpicked the parts of science textbooks that worked with my understanding of creation and the Bible, and I skipped over anything that seemed problematic for my faith. But after years of doing this, I began to ponder whether I needed to let go of Jesus so I could grab a hold of truth. It was confusing, and I was scared. I needed quiet. I needed to think. So there I was, every night after work for a week. And as I sat, he says, on that clear autumn night in my rural backyard, Jesus broke through all my doubts and fears and anxious thoughts and enveloped me in peace. As audibly as I've ever heard him speak, Kieran says, he said, I made it all. Don't be afraid to explore it. It was beautiful. It was liberating. It was life-changing. I lay there in the grass and cried and laughed and cried some more as Jesus showed me his magnificent handiwork of creation through new eyes. I felt I could finally pursue all the things that I loved without feeling that I was losing my Savior. I had never considered that science and faith could coexist let alone complement each other. It was incredible. And then he writes this at the end of his article. 
He says, if you and I have a similar story, don't give up on God. Don't confuse human knowledge and interpretation with the gospel of Jesus like I did. Dig deeper. Think bigger. Draw closer. Let mystery point you to the creator and discovery expand your sense of wonder. God will always be bigger and more wonderful than our human thoughts could ever conceive. And I'm so grateful to finally explore the intersection of faith and science, knowing that I learned more about nature, I'm learning more about God. Wow. That's why this thing matters. That's why it's so important. And you know what's cool is this moment that Kieran had from a science perspective psalmist had thousands of years ago writing psalm 8 when he says when i look at the night sky and i see the work of your fingers the moon and the stars that you set into place what are mere mortals that you should think about them human beings that you should care for them oh lord our lord your majestic name fills the earth the psalmist says everywhere i look i see you how could i not be impressed everywhere i study every time i look at the things out there i say wow you're so big and i'm so small how do you even care about me and see friends that's the reality when you look at things and you because look if you look at the earth and you say i've already taken the possibility of god off of the table now let me look at the evidence you're going to find what you're looking for but if you come in and you look at the things that he's made with a mind that says maybe somebody made these then losing the magic is the best thing that could happen to you because here's what happens to me every time i lose the magic i gain the majesty and i say wow god made that Every time I dig, every time I dig down and I say, I want to understand because, listen, let me be honest. I also was someone who had great faith and was troubled by science. I had moments where I said, I want to understand what the guys are saying. And legitimately, I'm a card-carrying member of the Assemblies of God. I was afraid to really dig in because I was afraid that I would find things I couldn't reconcile. It took me a long time to realize he made it all. And if I dig deep enough, I'm going to find him no matter which direction I dig. You zoom out all of the way. You see the galaxies, the, the billions of stars and the billions upon billions of planets. And you say, wow, somebody designed that. You zoom in as far as you can look and the billions and billions of, of particles inside that make up my body and I'm unique and there's not another one of me in the planet and you see all of the things at every level and you say, wow, there's such intention and design and the more things are explained, it doesn't just take away magic, it adds majesty and I say, wow. And you got to reconcile those things in your mind. You need a faith that's robust and strong. And I'm not here to tell you which one is right or not. Legitimately, I don't know. I can see plausible arguments on both sides. Here's what I do know for sure. He made it all. The pieces fit in one way or another. I may never get the puzzle right on this side of eternity, but he loves me right where I are. Christ died on the cross to save my soul. I'm going to live with him forever whenever I leave this body. And that's the thing that I hold on to.
So don't be afraid to study both books because the Christian just trades magic for majesty and wonder. Hey, this is Pastor Chris again. Thanks for listening. If today's talk was helpful in your spiritual life, odds are there's someone you know who could benefit from it. Take a minute right now to share it with them. And if you live in the area, come try out a service in person because church is more fun with friends. See you next time.